This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Dr. Dawn on Careers. Welcome to Dr. Dawn on Careers on SiriusXM, Channel 132. I'm your host, Dr. Dawn Graham, and I am the career director for the MBA for Executives program here at the Wharton School. I'm also a licensed psychologist, former corporate recruiter, and author of the book, Switchers, How Smart Professionals Change Careers and Seize Success. So we are back in the studio live, in case you hadn't heard, and we are so excited to be taking your calls at 844-942-7866. So if it's noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, give us a call with all of your career and job search questions. We have the whole team today. We've got Dana Dion and Chris Tooks in the studio and... Of course, we'll be having our, our, since it's the end of March, we'll be having our final Seinfeld trivia at the break, which I can't wait to to talk about. But lots of exciting things coming up on the show today. And we are going to, we're going to kick off with a fabulous guest who, along with our March theme, is doing work that is helping employees. We've been talking all month about how difficult the job search is, how hard it is to manage your career and ghosting and applicant tracking systems. But there are many, many, many uh, people who are doing great work that is going to improve the employee experience. And our guest today is one of them. So, hey, you got a question? Give us a call. 844-942-7866. This is SiriusXM 132. You're listening to Dr. Dawn on Careers. And if it's Thursday, we are live taking your questions all hour. But let's go ahead and dive in. So everybody knows that layoffs stink. There's just, it's a horrible thing. I've been laid off twice. I think if you're in the professional world for any length of time, you're going to experience a merger, an acquisition, um, you know, something that happens to your industry. And I think a lot of people who may have not experienced this over the past um, 20 years may have experienced it over the last 20 months, which is incredibly hard to deal with no matter when the timing is. So we're really excited today to welcome our guest, Hamoun Ektira, who is created a company that is called Future Fit AI, which is, quite frankly, the GPS to help workers navigate career transitions. So let me tell you a little bit about Hamoon because he has a resume that would just impress anyone. Um, he, aside from being the founder and CEO of Future Fit AI, which is an AI-powered GPS for your career, he was previously the director of strategy and innovation at a $30 billion telecom and technology company where he he led the future of work strategy for the enterprise. He is also the founding director of a Leadership Skills and Innovation Academy at one of the world's largest urban innovation hubs, a fellow at the University of Cambridge and recipient of many, many, many awards. And we are so excited to have him here because he is truly passionate about unlocking the potential of people, organizations, and society to build more audacious Futures. Welcome, Moon. Hi, Dr. Don. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm so excited. I was so excited to find your company. I was so excited to speak with you um, a few months ago to learn more about it. And I'm I'm incredibly thrilled to be sharing what you're doing with listeners. But I was watching a bunch of uh, videos. You're all over the internet, so um, I definitely encourage people to learn more about you. But you you talked you did a talk that was called um, the future of HR is smarter faster and more human. What do you mean more human? Yeah, Dr. Don, I think uh, remembering that talk that you mentioned, but also all the work that uh, I've been involved in over the years. I but just quick bit of personal context. I was a math kid who ended up stumbling into the world of people and talent with the belief that people were what mattered most and we needed to solve problems that put them in the center. And I think in, in talking about the future of HR needing to be more human is unfortunately the history of HR. 
has been one that wasn't really set up to put people first, right? It was set up to administration. It was set up to take care of payroll. Then it has focused on serving organizational needs and objectives. And only very recently has it started to shift and, and hopefully soon radically change its focus on if we truly say this is about the people in the organization and people who relate and uh, connect to the organization, how do we best support them? I, we, I just think that takes a very different form than what HR traditionally and even to this state often looks like. Yeah, I agree with you. And as somebody who's been in in HR, I think one of the reasons that I, I switched to the other side is because I think a lot of people get into human resources because they want to help people. And, you know, my experience, and this was this was two decades ago, is that I felt less like I was helping people and more like I was was kind of a police person who's trying to keep people in compliance with certain things and trying to to make sure we had all of the paperwork in line and I thought wow this this isn't really exactly what I thought it was going to be and I do think over the past two decades there's been a lot of progress in the area of, you know, HR being at the strategy table and bringing in people to help a little bit more with talent development and and even in some places career development. But that pendulum seems to swing back and forth depending on the economy. And um, it's never really taken hold. A lot of these services are still done by outside consultants. And even the data we have on training is that a lot of companies are not upskilling and definitely not outskilling, but any training they're offering is really around compliance. So I love, I love what you're doing, but I also am loving hearing that things are moving toward a better employee experience. So let's let's talk about that. I mean, let's talk about Future Fit AI because it is an amazing tool, and I think it's going to help so many companies and people. So can you give us the brief overview of this tool? Yeah, for sure. And Dr. Don, you started talking about the experience, as, and you've been talking on the show this month about our, each of our experiences of work, right? And how often unpredictable, unclear, frustrating those experiences can be. And so at Future Fit AI, our long-term vision is very much around this belief of we should invest in put in the hands of everyone their own intelligent, personal career assistant, career navigator, career GPS, as we describe it. But why shouldn't that goes into HR technology, so much of it to benefit the enterprise? We've said, what if we turn that upside down and we say, we're going to use as much data as we can find in people and careers, as much intelligence as we can build on top of that, and we'll focus on putting that into the hands of individuals in the long term to manage their entire career from beginning to end. Most immediately, we focused on career transitions, and specifically career transitions like when people are impacted by layoffs, because that is such a visceral moment of really being often done wrong by and needing support to successfully get to your next stage. But the long-term vision is very much around that intelligent career navigator in the hands of everybody, starting with context where there is real need to help people, especially those most marginalized, could successfully get to their next stage. I'm so excited to dig into this some more, but if you are just tuning in, we are so excited to be continuing with our series on companies that are helping with the employee experience and helping job seekers and creating more transparency and an end-to-end great experience for employees from the hiring process straight through the outskilling and transition process. And to help us with that today, we have Hamoun Ektiari on the line, who is the founder and CEO of FutureFit AI, a company that is helping companies with outskilling. We're going to talk a little bit more about what outskilling is, but you may not have heard that we are live back in the studio, 844-942-7866, so we are taking your calls all hour long. If it's Thursday, noon, Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, we are here, Dr. Dawn on Career Series XM 132, and we are so excited to be with you. So let's get back to talking with Hamoon about Future Fit AI. So let's talk a little bit about layoffs 
I mean, and traditionally, what has happened? I've been laid off twice personally. I know a lot of people who've been laid off in the last year, but even before that, it 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 seemed to be a way of doing business. And I know that outplacement came out and became really popular in the late '90s. I worked in in an outplacement firm. But outplacement is changing, and that whole experience of transitioning is changing. So I'd love to hear about about how the future of outplacement is going to look. Yeah, for sure. And I think very much, uh, Dr. John, this starts with that human experience, right? So when we talk to people who are laid off, the three most common uh, words you hear in their description of how they're feeling, uh, ashamed, lost, and confused. And not a fault of their own, right? Business transformation, restructuring, as you mentioned, M&A. So why should they, after all that they've done, feel that way? So on a very human level, that is often the experience. You might get a notice, entirely a surprise. You might be asked to immediately walk out the door, perhaps by Friday at the latest, and then you're off on your own. You figure out what you do next. Up until today, we cared about you. We suddenly stopped caring about you. Where there is outplacement available, and that's often Unfortunately, it's an upside-down pyramid. So the most senior people who might need the least level of support in making a successful transition get the largest packages. And then many frontline workers actually don't get access to much, and if so, very limited, standardized, what has been often analog, in-person services and support. And so what we have focused on in partnering with companies who've said, look, these are our people, even if their next stage isn't going to be with us is to turn that on its head to say, what if we use labor market information, data on jobs, and put it into the hands of the individual, help them figure out what skills they have today, what careers are in demand in the market, wherever they live, and then what skills and supports they need, uh, career coaching, resume reviews, to get them from A to B. All of that powered by AI engines underneath the platform and access to human guidance and support whenever they need it along the way, to be able to do that at scale for more people at, more affordably uh, over time, but also put a lot more agency and power into their hands as they go through that transition. It's so true that, um, I mean, the process, I, it, there have been so many articles on the process, and it, they're the articles are always about should we do it on a Monday or a Friday or should we do it at the end of the day or the beginning of the day and it's like well what like let's just back up here because if the goal you're trying to get to is to make this a more humane experience then why aren't you offering more support around next steps so I think we need to change that entire conversation and you were you're quoted in many many articles but one that I was reading um, was talking about that that obviously laid off workers have a higher chance of developing health conditions. Sadly, many uh, commit suicide. We're seeing that more and more. And that um, over a 20-year period, they tend to earn 20% less than their peers. But even more than that, the people who haven't been laid off, so the quote-unquote survivors of a layoff, have lower job satisfaction, lower job performance, higher voluntary turnover. So, so this is um, impacting everybody, and it just seems to be good business to do it better, right? Absolutely, Dr. Dunn. And those stats you pointed to very much uh, tell that story. And then when you look at stories like, for example, Nokia, that literally did it both ways, right? They first did it the traditional way. They had uh, pushback from employees. They had strikes. They had lawsuits. And then their chairman said there is not only literal, legal, and, and, and bottom line cost to us, there is clearly this is not the kind of brand we want to be building. These people are going to be customers, uh, or we would want them to be, not after this experience maybe. They, they often refer other candidates over to us. And so they flipped the script. They made visible six different pathways, internal and external, that you could explore with about six to 18 months in advance one way of exploring that. It ended up turning into things like people starting new ventures related to Nokia's business. They became their own entrepreneurs, and Nokia had a, had a stake in it. It became new ideas in the company, and they supported those who did transition externally to land into their next opportunity. This past fall, I, I was at the World Economic Forum Jobs Research Summit, and you had the CEO of Unilever come in and say, look, we have kept talking about climate and being net zero from a negative impact on climate, but we haven't done anything on a similar commitment on people generally in the market. And his view was 
it's, it's essentially hypocritical to try to make commitments on social and environmental and not make equal commitments to say, whoever comes into our network of people will be taken care of and will be better off wherever they go next. And so they, he has put forward this premise of what does net positive on people look like, right? How can we be no matter who comes to us, even if they're frontline workers, wherever they go next, internal or external, they're going to be better off because of, because of the supports we give them. And that helps bridge a lot of the gaps that people fall through in. And that's something that companies care about, but also governments and the individuals deeply care about. So it's one of those problems that everybody has a stake in. And if we pulled the resources together collectively, we could just make sure those gaps didn't exist. Yeah, it, it just makes sense. It just makes sense. Hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and we are live taking your calls right now at 844-942-7866. So, hey, have you been laid off? What what was your experience with it? Did, did you have what you considered a humane experience considering the circumstances? Were you escorted out? I'll, I'll be honest with you. I've been laid off twice, and the reason I want to keep saying that is because let me tell you, if you're experiencing this or you have experienced this, you are not alone. We do not have to feel the shame and and hide from this because I think when you start talking to people, you'll find that many, many people have experienced this and uh, quite frankly, through no fault of their own. So so please do not do not put this on as your new brand. It's not your brand. Your brand, regardless of whether you're getting paid by a company or or not. Your brand is always the value you bring to the market and you bring that value no matter if you're employed earning a paycheck or if you're between jobs. So please don't brand yourself as between jobs. Don't brand yourself as unemployed. Brand yourself as the expert you are. Whether it's in introductions, LinkedIn, your resume, you have a lot of value to the market and it doesn't matter if you're not currently earning a paycheck. So own it and know that you are not alone. Hey, 844-942-7866. You're listening to Dr. Dawn on Careers. We are live, and if you want to find more about our shows or listen to past episodes, you can follow me on Twitter at Dr. Don Graham, or you can subscribe to Dr. Don on Careers on iTunes, where we have over 250 episodes that you can binge on if you're done with Netflix. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, Sounds but, like such better content than Netflix. <laughs> thank you, Amun. I appreciate that. I don't know. A lot of people use Netflix to kind of fall asleep at night. So so it depends. It depends what you're looking for. But yeah, I'm so excited to be here with uh, Amun Akhtiari, who's a founder and CEO of FutureFit AI. A com- and Amun has done so many fantastic fantastic things. So like you've got you've got multiple companies, you're 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 out there, you're doing things. You're really the real deal. And I think that was really what I wanted to highlight this this month is is that there's companies out there that are creating profitable AI, machine learning, um, quality systems to help the employee experience. And I think it's so great and I I think it's sad that uh, that uh you know, transitions and layoffs are part of the job experience, but they will be and they'll continue to be. And I think we need to recognize that this is part of the new career cycle. We will all be making changes. The The half-life of skills is about five years now. And so we'll all be making changes. We'll all be switchers and it'll become more common. But while we're in this transition period, I'm so excited about what Future Fit AI is doing to really create a great transition experience in that career cycle. So let's talk about what is outskilling. We talk about reskilling, upskilling. What is outskilling, Hamoon? Yeah, so Dr. Don, oftentimes companies make statements around, we're going to be committed to a future of skills in our organization. We're going to help our people uh, get the skills they need. The thing that isn't publicly talked about, but absolutely is happening behind every single boardroom, virtually or in person these days, door is that there's a workforce transformation strategy that maps to the business transformation strategy, right? So if the business is changing, our workforce needs to change. That change in workforce, some of it will come from new people we'll hire into the company, some of that change will be internal people that we're going to reskill for, for new opportunities, which we, we partner with companies on as well. But part of that equation, almost every time that analysis is there are going to be segments of our workforce that will be impacted 
and we might not have opportunity for them in the company. And I think importantly, what companies need to realize, even if you think you have opportunities for them, the individual might say, hey, that kind of future job that you have is not what I want to be doing. And again, so power and agency in the hands of the individual, outskilling becomes the support system to help proactively help people whose jobs might be impacted by automation, by disruption and transformation, explore what might be next for them. As they do that, the view is rather than only showing them internal job postings, which they could still explore, is to give them the power of data to say you can actually search for what kind of jobs are in demand in the region you live. Uh, you can search for entrepreneurial pathways if that's of your interest. If you want to go more freelance or gig opportunities, all, you know, the system can help you do that. And so outskilling is really about can we successfully help that individual transition into what's next? If what's next requires some reskilling, no problem. We, we give that access to them to learning and training to do so. But also what they might really need is, as you mentioned, is advice, guidance, coaching, LinkedIn, profile update, resume review, all of that available through a marketplace where they can spend a personalized budget that's available to them to get access to those resources and supports, have a personalized roadmap of getting to where they want to go next. But really, the focus of outskilling is using the power of technology and data to help build a personalized roadmap of individuals who might need to depart into a next opportunity outside the company, but not let them fall through the cracks. Help them successfully make that transition into a better opportunity and do that hopefully faster and more affordably as time goes on. I'm telling you, Hamoon, the work you're doing is going to put people like me out of work, but I can't. I, that makes me so happy. I love to hear that. I promise <laughs> this will be the one time I interrupt you, because, but that, that, that statement is kind but not true because what we always say is while AI is critical to help us do things at scale in analyzing data and pulling insights, it is so critical for people to have access to insights and advice from experts like you on, the, on how they navigate these experiences. And so that's why, just to be clear, even on our platform, we recommend people to connect to coaches and they're uh, in, in doing this and advisors. So I want to say on what that piece, I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that. That makes me feel that makes me feel better. But I'm so excited because we need these tools too. we need scalable solutions that companies are employing. And so we all are going to be partnering with with machines and robots in the future. And I am so excited to be partnering with Future Fit AI. If you're just tuning in and you haven't heard, it's an end to end career transition platform from resume parsing and assessments to identify worker skills to AI-powered career path recommendations to personalized skills gap analysis and learning recommendations to success coaching through job placement. I have to say that that's that's way more than I could do in, in a period of time. So it is definitely taking what, what career experts do and putting this incredible power behind it, Hamoon. So I love that. And I just, I follow Future Fit AI and you on LinkedIn. I recommend that everybody does that. But I saw another article, you're everywhere, in uh, I think it was Harvard Business Review, and it was talking about how professional services firms had has gotten this right for years. And having worked in Arthur Anderson and, and some other professional services firms, I was very familiar with the up or out culture and that they looked at this end-to-end -end experience and they've been doing it for years and they know that their consultants will go on to become clients and they see the, the not only um, benefit to the people, but obviously the profits in this model. So why haven't more people jumped on this, Hamoon? Yeah, very good. Very good question. And I think that's an interesting example when the through line is super clear, right? Because they would see early on that is exactly the person I'm going to have to sell to next week. And so even, and I was at a management consulting firm as well, right? And so in that context, even when something might go a little bit off between the person and the company, they try to make sure the transition is reasonably taken care of. I think what has been the case, and this is true in all kinds of challenges we're facing in the world, is we've traditionally set up systems, Dr. Don, where we've assumed there is this hard red line, you're either in or you're out. So you're either a full-time employee of the company or you are nothing to us. That's been the mindset. 
And I think what's become clear at every end of that spectrum, so before people come in, so actively engaging with prospective candidates rather than just treating them as, uh, as, uh, as you know, widgets that uh, interact with the system, whether that is part-time and contract and gig workers, treating them as part of the talent community, and now increasingly saying it's the same thing on the other side. People who are leaving us are still potential customers, talent, referrals, as you mentioned, and, and we need to engage in that relationship end-to-end in a human way and in a way that will positively impact our bottom line. And I think very much the reality of the century is we're learning this on environment, we're learning this in the future of work, we're learning this on careers, is these hard lines we used to draw of here's you're in and here you're out, here's step one, here's step two, things are not linear as you give the advice around Dr. Don. And, and, and so that's been translating into companies realizing I can't afford to just do the ostrich, right? Put my hand in the sand and say, this is no longer my problem. It is my problem because it comes right back to me. So true. So true. I, I mean, so well said. And I, I think that what you're doing is a revolution. And, um, you know, part of me says it shouldn't have been a revolution. This should have been the way it's always been. But I am so glad that you are out there doing this and companies are going to see the many benefits that this end-to-end employee experience will create for everyone, for everyone. And that's really the truth. Hey, 844-942-7866, Thursday noon Eastern. We're live on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and we are here with Hamoun Akhtiari, who is the CEO and founder of FutureFit. And you've said something, Hamoun, that I, that I think is so important. You said something along the lines of it's important to democratize access to high-quality training networks and jobs. And I think this is even more critical now than ever. Can you explain what you meant by that? For sure. So if you think about how, as you describe in, in your work, how much careers are changing, right? How many different cycles each person is going to go through versus the traditional four years of higher education, 40 years of work. The reality is so many more transitions people need to go through, so many of them more complex, more unpredictable. And yet, when you think about truly reskilling from job A to job B and a different career, the reality is, Dr. Don, in the market today, People either default to, I'm going to go back to full-time education, which can be very cost prohibitive, or even if you look at some of the emerging things like boot camps that are on offer, they can take, they can be fast, so three months, four months, six months, but they can cost someone anywhere between five to ten to fifteen thousand dollars, sometimes upfront, which is even more uh, difficult, and sometimes maybe as part of an income share, plus. When you dig into the details, a lot of these retraining programs, because they want to optimize for what they have to offer, they have acceptance rates that are something like 2% of who applies. And so if what you care about, which I know you do, and what we care about at Future Fit AI is actually the individual above and beyond everyone else, what we need to do, if you think of the highway system, you know, the interstate system in the U.S., we need to build much more predictable on-ramps and transition highways between any given two points in careers than we have today. Because today, it is expensive, it is unpredictable whether you're going to be accepted, and depending on where you live and what kind of career you're interested in, there might not even be a highway available to take you from A to B. And so that's where, when I talk about democratization of that landscape, is to put the power and the funding in the hands of the individual so that learning and training providers do a lot more on driving both affordability, but also quality and speed in their offerings. And that's what we try to do with our marketplace approach. We get companies and governments to put dollars in the hands of the individual. That drives competitive dynamics amongst learning, training, and reskilling providers. Oh, fantastic. So what is next? What is next for Future Fit AI, Hamoon? Uh, uh, Dr. Don, we're excited about the work we've been doing. We're going to continue to build on it, but I'll give you a sense of one, one piece that we're excited later this year, and we'll share it with you when it, when it comes. We've invested uh, in quite a bit of data underneath the platform. That includes about 200 million resumes and CVs of people and their career pathways to understand really how career paths work. And we're excited, hopefully later this year, to be able to start sharing some of that uh, data in a way that people can explore more, more directly, right? Imagine being able to say, I'm interested in a data scientist job at Tesla, 
what are the pathways that people take to that job? Uh, that is something that we're working hard to be able to make visible and just more generally available for people to be able to explore. Uh, I can't even tell you how often I get that question. So you you are going to just be incredibly popular in, in all facets. And I am just so thankful that we've crossed paths and that you're doing the work you're doing. And I know many of our listeners would love to learn more about you and the work you're doing at Future Fit AI. So, so where is the best place for people to follow you? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, futurefit.ai, they can check out our work on the website and similarly futurefit.ai on on LinkedIn and other social media platforms as well. Uh, uh, Likewise for myself, LinkedIn probably would be the best way to reach. I do want to say, Dr. Dom, very quickly that I've I've been a big fan and a a student of all your great thinking and work in the space. And I encourage anyone who might have been just jumping in for this episode to make sure they go back and listen to everything else you've had so far and become a subscriber. You are you are just so gracious. Thank you so much, Amun. I appreciate that. I look forward to continuing to partner in any way and promoting all the work you're doing because it is making people's lives so much better. And I, I thank you on behalf of all of the job seekers and employees out there. Thank you, Hamoon, for what you're doing. Thanks so much, Dr. Don. Take good care. Bye-bye. You too. You too. Hey, if you're just tuning in, you missed a great segment on Future Fit AI, and you're going to want to go back and and listen to that one. Lots of great things coming with the new career cycle. But hey, um, we have to go to our pre-break quiz. And of course, this is the end of March, so it's our last Seinfeld. Here we go. Quiz. There's a quiz? There is a quiz. I have to ask you, Chuck, do you watch Seinfeld? Have you watched Seinfeld? Do you know what Seinfeld is? I know what Seinfeld is. Okay. Yes. Okay. Have I, I've probably watched a total of three episodes across the entirety of my life. Okay. So it's it's unlikely that this question's from one of those three. But that's okay because Dion's watched them all and he, he has the answers. All right. So our pre-break quiz for the final Seinfeld March question is... What is the first and last thing the group of friends discussed during the pilot and the final episode? What is the first and last thing that they talked about in the first and last episodes? If you think you know, 844-942-7866. You're listening to SiriusXM channel 132, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Dr. Dawn on Careers. On Business Radio. Welcome back to Dr. Don on Careers, Sirius XM, Channel 132. I'm your host, Dr. Don Grimm. And if you hadn't heard, we are back live in the studio, 844-942-7866, taking all of your career and job search questions every Thursday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. So if you are listening and it is that time, we would love to hear from you. Hey, what's going on in the news? Well, there is so much going on in the news. But interestingly, Bolt House Farms has become the latest company to incentivize workers to get COVID-19 vaccinations, giving $500 cash bonuses to all those who get their shot and hosting weekly vaccine drives at its plant. Ah, What do you think of that? What do you think of employers getting involved in that way? And how's your employer? 844-942-7866. Of course, we have to answer our pre-break quiz. And I'm excited that we have somebody calling in to answer that but let me remind you what it was so what was the first and last thing the group of friends on Seinfeld discussed during the pilot and the final episode and Kyle Kyle from Orlando Florida what is your answer the answer to that question would be they were discussing the second button on George's shirt wow you are absolutely correct so are you a big Seinfeld fan, Kyle? Um, yes, I'm a big Seinfeld nerd. So as <laughs> soon as I heard the question, I jumped on the call and uh, got the opportunity to answer it. Yeah, well, I if, 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 if it's nerdy to watch Seinfeld, then I am a nerd with you. But, you know, I, I don't know. Do you feel do you feel confident, Kyle? Because I got a few more questions I could toss at you. 
Um, uh, yeah, let's give it a, let's give it a shot. All right, Kyle. All right. Uh, I hope you're listening, Dion. I want to see if you got these answers right, too. All right, here's one. What is the name of the coffee shop where the group spends a lot of their time? Uh, that would be Monk's. Dang, Kyle's not lying. Kyle's not lying. <laughs> All right. <laughs> what occupation is George continually faking having? is a uh, marine biologist. So he was in one episode, yes. That, I will take marine biologist because he did lie to oh, us. Orca, architect. Yes, architect. yes, you got both of them. I'm actually impressed. I'm actually impressed. All right, we got we got to take it one more. I told you I'm a nerd. Yeah, no, okay. Well, what, what's the fake name he always uses? Uh fake name it, uh slips on my mind here i got i got it uh it's one of my favorite episodes when george is going to the unemployment office and he gives jerry's number and he's like say bam industries what is it what is it oh uh, uh, yeah of course you know art vandalite yes well done all right <laughs> I, I, i'm gonna tell you one more one more for the for the man who is truly seinfeld's biggest fan um what is this is a hard one, but I will take I will take just the apartment number, but what is Jerry's address? Uh this is this is a tough one. It is. Um Yeah, it's, uh, and and it's one I've actually answered wrong in the past in Seinfeld trivia and it's you know, I should know it. Um I, I, I do not know this. Let's one, get Dion. Let's get Dion on the line to help you out because because Dion has watched all 180 episodes and he he for sure knows the answer. Dion, can you help Kyle out here? First of all, <laughs> the, the idea that my man had to answer his second button and you said, "Are you a big fan?" I think so. <laughs> like, like when, I, when I heard the question, I was like, I know that, and that is no, nowhere near anything I came up with. So I would have got that wrong. Um, I know Jerry is 5E. Oh, you're I so don't close. Know the address at all. You're so close. It's 5A, but I will give you, I will give you props for even knowing he's on the fifth floor. <laughs> nice. That that makes a difference because you know they drop a, a an air conditioner out of the window. They drop a lot of stuff out of the window, actually. So, yeah. so yeah. knowing that he's on the fifth floor, his address is uh, one twenty nine West eighty first Street, and that yeah. is that is all the Seinfeld trivia I have. But I have to say, Kyle, I'm very impressed, and Dion, I'm very impressed. You actually got a number of these right this month. So kudos, kudos to you both. Ah. You love sound effects. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> right in my wheelhouse. Yep, that's that's awesome. Well, Kyle, thank you so much for calling in. I know this is a great time to like re binge watch all of the Seinfeld episodes, and there really truly isn't a bad one. Do you have a favorite? Um, that's that's uh, like picking your favorite kid. Uh, I yeah. Mean, <laughs> yes. I, I, I don't know. I I, I think I think the, I forget the technical name of it. It might be the pinky toe episode where. Um, Elaine's coworker loses the pinky toe. Oh. And Kramer talks about driving the bus. That's one of my. That's probably my favorite scene in Seinfeld. Yes, Elaine's Elaine's colleague who actually is is created to be quite annoying and gets the promotion. And um, yep, I remember that one. Uh, Kyle, you're my people. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for calling, Dion. You rock. Um, and of course. We will be back next week with some more pre-break quiz trivia, but we'll be moving on from Seinfeld, sadly. Um, 844-942-7866. We are live on Thursdays, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific here on Dr. Dawn on Careers, Sirius XM 132. And we are excited to continue to speak with fabulous guests but of course we're here to take your calls all hour on any career and job search questions 844-942-7866 but next we are going to welcome Dr. Francesca Ortegren who is a data science and research product manager at Clever Real Estate the nation's leading real estate education platform for home buyers sellers and investors a widely cited expert 
Dr. Ortegren began her career as a professor and researcher at the University of Southern Indiana, focused on research methods and statistics, and she has compiled original data and conducted many, many studies with her publications being included in Yahoo Finance, CNBC, Business Insider, and Forbes, and many more. And welcome to the show, Francesca. Thank you. Uh, Happy to be here. So I'm so excited because data science is such a hot career right now. So you are, you have one of both the coolest and most in-demand careers here. Now, how does a data scientist get involved with, with real estate and then research about what we're going to talk a little bit about, which is mental health and COVID? <laughs> um, well, actually, like you mentioned, I started out as a professor and I was just kind of trying to switch gears. I wasn't um, teaching just wasn't for me. Um, so I started learning some coding and was trying to apply my stat skills and got contacted by Clever on um, LinkedIn about a research job. And I've just kind of transitioned a little bit since I've been there for the last year and a half. So we love switchers on this show. So what a great switch story and a reminder to us all to make sure that we we update our LinkedIn profiles because recruiters are reaching out on LinkedIn and they're looking for people who have the skills in data science is actually one of those hot careers. But what we're going to talk about today is actually not uh, uplifting. We're going to talk about some of the research that you've done around employee burnout and uh, mental health concerns that are resulting from the craziness of the last year. So so one of the stats that I was reading about in your research is that 41% of employees feel burnt out from work. And I'm actually surprised it's that low. Yeah, we were surprised as well. Um, we expected it to be higher, especially after nearly a year of kind of a lot of people working remotely when they hadn't before. Um, but we found that the remote work actually might not be as like stressful as we once thought. People feel a little bit more flexibility working at home, especially in a time where you have to deal with kids having to stay home and things like that uh, because of the pandemic. And it might actually have been helpful to have parents at home um, and to work at home than maybe before when people were forced to work at home because they couldn't find an in-person job that they wanted, something like that. Yeah, I definitely agree with with some of the data you present on the fact that working remotely has actually helped with some people's mental health, but certainly it has not helped with people's boundaries and and um, working hours. Can you say more about that? Yeah, um, people, this is true for, for remote work, regardless of whether it's during a pandemic, but especially true when you kind of first start um working remotely, um, creating boundaries between your, your work life and your home life. Uh, working from home is really difficult in, in that sense. Um, it's really easy to, you know, roll out of bed and walk straight to your computer and log on and um, forget that you kind of need these, these separate spaces for different parts of your life. And we did, we did find that in our study that people um, have difficulty establishing those boundaries. And I think that that's one of the drivers to the stress that comes from working from home and, um, you know, on top of pandemic stress and all of the other stressors that we've all experienced in the last year, um, not being able to compartmentalize my, my home life and my office life, I think, adds to that stress. And I, I'm curious, I don't know how you sliced and diced the data at, at this level, but I'm curious, did you find any differences in age? Like, is it, I imagine it's very difficult for somebody who is a recent graduate, for example, and starting their first job to really adjust to a remote schedule, um, a remote group of colleagues. I don't know if you got down to that level, but I, I, I think that would be much harder if you're new to the workspace. Yeah, we didn't look at age in our um, research specifically, but I do know that kind of starting in a remote space is a little bit more difficult than people have been in it for a while. Um, I think you learn to establish like routines around your day if you work from home for long periods of time. But if, you know, you have a hard time adjusting to, to going into the workforce anyway, and then adding this additional like new thing of working remotely and not being able to socialize with coworkers, I think is difficult for um, new workers. 
Hey, you're just tuning in. You're listening to Dr. Dawn on Career Serious XM 132. We are back live in the studio taking your career and job search questions at 844-942-7866. You want more information about the show, you can follow me on Twitter at Dr. Dawn Graham, or you can check out my website, drdawnoncareers.com, which is a repository for everything I put out there from my podcast to my Forbes articles to lots of videos. And don't forget to check out my new YouTube page where I do three to four minute video shorts on key career topics and subscribe to make sure you don't miss another episode. Hey, 844-942-7866. And we are excited to be here with Dr. Francesca Ortegren, data science and research product manager at Clever Real Estate, talking about some of her research related to mental health, burnout, and COVID. And one one piece of, of data that didn't surprise me at all, Francesca, was about people not taking vacation. This was a problem in the U.S. before. I mean, it was so there, the data was so stark about how other countries were so good about taking their vacation and the U.S. was not. But, but why has this been the case recently when people agree that mental health days are helpful, but yet nobody's taking vacation? Why, why is that? I think there's a few things going on. Um, one, during the pandemic, I think people, you know, couldn't travel or didn't feel comfortable traveling for good reason. And so they didn't see a reason to take time off. Um, although I will say it's important just to take that time, even if you're stuck at home. Um, but people also have concerns about how they're viewed at work if they take time off. Um, so there's a, a culture problem that we have, I think, in the United States that we all need to be grinding all the time, you know, hustling, have side hustles, always working. Um, And people assume that if they take time off, they might miss out on opportunities at work. Um, You know, somebody else might might take over a a promotion that they would have had otherwise. Their managers or peers might um, think that they're not as serious about their job um, if they take time off. So there's a lot of um, kind of social aspects to the workplace that that um, in, that caused people not to take time off. Um, and that, like you said, has been true for some time. And I think it has been worse in 2020 um, because there's there's just less to do. So there's less motivation, I guess, there to take time off. Yeah, no, I would agree. I, I definitely have had that thought cross my mind. But I've also seen a lot of people say, well, I'm taking vacation, but but their bosses have asked, hey, but you, can you call into this meeting at two just for an hour? And so and so right. that, that to me is where a lot of this burnout is coming, because even if you only have one hour of a meeting at two o'clock that really does impact your entire day because you have to if you're going to go out and do errands you have to make sure you're back by two or if you decided you wanted to take a random nap or whatever you have to be watching that clock and know when two o'clock is coming and I do think that you really in research I think shows this that you really have to disconnect totally so taking a day off and and calling in or checking your email doesn't have the same benefits of fully, fully stepping away. So I, I think that is that is a key that we're seeing a lot more now. So one of the statistics in your research that kind of blew my mind was obviously it, it's not surprising that burn, burnout slashes productivity, but um, job stress costs U.S. companies an estimated $300 billion annually, which is more than the GDP of Finland. <laughs> Can you say, share more about that? Yeah. Um, so this comes from a number of factors that are kind of caused by either directly or indirectly by burnout. And some of that is the loss of productivity, like you mentioned. But other things include um, kind of negative effects on mental health and physical health. You know, if we're overly stressed all the time, which is usually related to burnout, um, you're more likely to get sick and have to take time off because you're sick. Um, and you're um, more likely to experience like negative mental health effects, uh, and which also might lead you to take time off or just be less productive overall at work. Um, it can also lead to turnover in, in jobs. So um, if somebody is feeling really overworked, they might leave the job and then that costs the company a bunch of money to have to hire again and and train a new person to take that position. Um, So it's a lot of different factors that fall into that, um, including people, you know, not taking time off too. And that, that comes from burnout. It causes burnout, you know, so it's kind of cyclical in that. 
Yeah, it's so true. And I know your research mentioned that about 17% of the people you surveyed believe their companies make any kind of an effort to to focus on mental health. And that's obviously a very, a very low number. But you also talk about that uh, the, the WHO estimates that every $1 companies invest in mental health treatment yields a $4 return in improved health and productivity. So so what can companies be doing to help, Francesca? Um, there's a lot of different options. Um, one is to try to create a culture in the company that um, is kind of pro-mental health, uh, where you can, uh, where employees can take time off to deal with mental health issues or to avoid mental health issues, uh, kind of take those mental health days, um, where people feel uh, a sense of autonomy in their work so they don't feel like they're being micromanaged. Um, and there is an expectation and encouraging um, kind of atmosphere of upward feedback and open communication. So people just feel more comfortable every day at work. They don't feel stressed out. They don't feel afraid to make a mistake. Um, uh, and they don't feel highly competitive with their um, with their coworkers. I think all of that leads to uh, psychological unsafety, like feeling unsafe at work, and that that can definitely impact your mental health. Um, another thing is to encourage people to take time off. Um, I think that a lot of employees don't feel like their companies want them to take time off, and we've talked a little bit about that. But one of the best things that managers can do is take time off themselves and really shut off. Don't email, you know, while you're taking off because your employees are going to assume that's what they need to be doing as well. Um, so kind of uh, setting these expectations by doing yourself. Yes. Use your vacation. Brainstorm with your boss about how to delegate or postpone or prioritize. Thank mm -hmm. you so much, Dr. Francesca Ortegren. Where can people learn more about you and your research? Um, you can find us uh, at listwithclever.com slash research, and you'll find all the studies that I've been involved with there. Um, I'm also on Twitter at Dr. Fran with uh, three N's at the end. <laughs> awesome. And I appreciate you taking the time to come talk to us today and share your research. It's so important. And I want to leave you all with a couple of other tips if you are struggling with this. Aside from using your vacation, um, put an out-of-office message on if you need to tackle a big project for the day so you don't get interrupted or move. Just just stand up, get away from your, your chair, or if you're working, get outside, breathe in the fresh air, do some stretching. All of this helps, and I know it might sound hokey, but I'm telling you, if you don't try it, you're not going to know. I think journaling is one of my favorite things. It might sound frou-frou, but that's because you haven't tried it. It reduces stress lowers blood pressure, improves uh, your immune system. And there's a lot of things you could do. You can just you could write five things you're grateful for. There's a lot of research on how that helps. You can just vent. You can you can write an email to that that coworker that you can't stand, but don't send it um, just to get all of that out on paper. So so there's so many things um, that you could do. Acknowledge it. And if you do need support or help, please reach out to someone, reach out to someone who can support you. Look at at some of the employee assistance programs that you have at your organization, um, community resources, online apps like BetterHelp, Talkspace, Ginger are so helpful. So please, please do get support. Hey, you have been listening to Dr. Dawn on Career Series XM 132. I want to thank our guests, Hamoon and Francesca, for coming on the show today. And of course, Tooks. Dana and Dion and our caller, Kyle. We love being with you here, and we'll see you next time. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.